Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Behold, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but, per, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. That is the word of the Lord. Look, um, for this week and next week, as uh, you may have seen through a text or on Facebook or something, we're going to talk about dating. And so, let me ask this. What does the Bible say about dating? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing at all. So we might as well pray and go home, right? Um, Well, uh, at the beginning of semester, I did mention that there would be a few weeks during this whole course of this semester when... I can't sit here and say, you know, thus saith the Lord. This is exactly what God's telling us to do about dating. Because it's, dating is a, is a social construct. It's a cultural construct that we find ourselves in in America and uh, in the setting we're in. So what I want to do rather than uh, just say this is what God says about dating because he doesn't do that is to say, well, let's take biblical wisdom. Um, let's take experience of people, college students for a long time. Let's take the conversations I have with y'all as well as my own past and just ugly past with dating before I got married. Um, And we're going to talk about, hopefully constructively in a way that helps you, about several things about dating. And what I want to do tonight is look at this. I want to look at the pattern of dating, simply the way that we date, um, by and large in this culture. I know that uh, you can't catch everyone in a statement like that, but hopefully we'll get you with a broad stroke. Secondly, we're going to look at the problems with this pattern. Thirdly, we're going to look at the power to repair the problems with the pattern. Ridiculous alliteration, I know. Um, and before I get going, I want to say that a, f- a friend of mine named Matt Howell, uh, I just used a lot of his stuff on this because it was great, and quite honestly, I didn't know how to say much of it better than he did. And so I just give that disclaimer, as I do every week. Um, I don't have a lot of original thoughts, if you haven't figured that out. But that's okay. I'm really okay with that, I think. Um, anyway, so first, the pattern of dating, how it is that we date. I had a friend in college who, uh, he had been talking to this girl for a little while. They had actually gone out on several dates, coffee dates, or at OU you went on Coke dates, which meant you would go to Sonic or this place called Classic 50s and get a Coke. And you'd talk right there and fill up their little slot for hours and sit there and talk. He'd done that a few times with this girl, and he he was kind of digging her, kind of liking her, but he wasn't quite ready to say, like, I want you to be my girlfriend, or I want to be your... He wasn't ready to have that conversation, so he felt... Some sort of pressure, though, to say something, to say something about the relationship. 
And so he had a night where he was going to intentionally go and talk to her about what they were. Okay? And um, we were waiting back for him in the dorm afterward. And, you know, we're just kind of excited. We're like, hey, how'd it go? And he hung his head in shame and said, I think I just asked her to be my friend. And um, he was so weirded out and embarrassed. Like, that's how it ended ended up coming out. Like, I just asked her to be what we already were. And so he was kind of fumbling with that and felt really weird about it. And we, of course, made tons of fun of it. I mean, we just ragged him hard for it. That's what guy friends do. Um, And other than being ridiculous and hilarious, why do I even mention that story? It's for this reason, that every single relationship that we have begs for definition. It absolutely begs for definition. And I mean all sorts of relationships. Your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your professors, with uh, Stead over here, with me. Every sort of relationship you have begs for definition. Okay? Now, some of them are more obvious than others. So, with your parents, that kind of is, is an open book. I mean, that, those sort of things are given to you, that they pay for your life, and so you do what they say. Um, they give you food to eat. You say, yes, mom, no, mom, yes, sir, no, sir. Um, relationships with your professors, there's uh, not a lot of give and take in those, if you haven't noticed. It's mostly give from their end, and you just take it, uh, for better or worse. But when it comes to things like friendships, and particularly romantic relationships between people of opposite sex, it would be fair to say it gets a little more hazy, right? Um, It gets a little, we kind of enter into the gray area and we start talking about what we do with each other, particularly with dating or romantic relationships, okay? Just ask my friend Matt about that. It gets kind of hard. Well, um, he's the one who had that crazy conversation. So um, what I want to talk about, though, is how this pattern leads us and forces us to ask the question, what are we, okay? The way that we date, the pattern of our dating, moves us necessarily to the point where you're left, both of the people involved, including all of your friends who by that point are involved, everyone is asking, what are you? (laughs) What are we? What am I? What's my relationship with you? Okay, so let's talk about how we get there. There's uh, seven steps, and I'm just going to blow through these because they're not of huge import. But there's the initial interest. Okay, the initial interest. This happens usually in some kind of social setting, maybe at RUF or at a frat party or at where library, I, I don't know where it'll happen, all sorts of places, an apartment where someone catches your eye. Now, for ladies, it may be that some guy is, is built or he's buff or he's whatever, or for a guy, maybe she's blonde or brunette or wherever you fall in that range, or maybe, guys, maybe she has a cute blouse on, um, or maybe, <laughs> maybe he or she has a cute backpack, I'm rolling with alliteration tonight, you know? Maybe if he's got, he or she has a north face, that means one thing. Or if they have like the indie backpack, like the one strap, that means something else. Now, you may be attracted to one and not the other. Whatever it is, there's some sort of initial interest that is spawned in that, okay? Secondly, then, once you kind of notice that person and you do what you need to do to find out their name, then comes the stalk, okay? Then comes the stalk. Um, Now... Facebook's a given, like the Facebook stuff is just a given, but I think it goes beyond that. Uh, but what you do in the Facebook deals, you have a friend, friend that person, and then you sit there all night, you look, you look at pictures, and you ask all these questions about the people in the pictures who they're hugging, like, oh my gosh, is that, do you think they're, I don't know. And so you, you work through this, you're analyzing quotes, and you're looking at clubs and groups, 
you just you thoroughly are doing all the background research, right? You're stalking. Um, and uh, then comes the uh, the uh, just when you happen to show up at things where the other person is, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you liked Zumba too. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Right. Um, as if you didn't see her the other day before. So, um, so then you have the stock. Well, thirdly, with a little confidence built up, you begin to maybe approach that person in group settings. So you might see them at the CAF or in ACAC or at the library or wherever it is. And you get, kind of have the confidence to go and talk to them. Okay? Now it doesn't, it's not anything substantial or deep, but you just say, hey, I've seen you around, whatever it is, I'm so-and-so. Um, it's great to know you and that, that kind of stuff. And the whole time, as you're talking, and as you even maybe back off, you're still kind of seeing that person from afar, you're asking the question, does that person like me? <laughs> you're, a- you're asking it at every front. Did she laugh at my last joke? Or does he think I'm cute? Does he like my blouse? Um, you know, <laughs> that word is so awkward to me that I'm just going to keep saying it. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, the group setting thing is happening, okay? So then it moves on. Then comes the intentional flirting, okay? Now, ideally, this starts happening in person, okay? Where, like, you're actually having a conversation with your mouth and using real words. Um, you know, that way you can figure out if your funny comment, like, actually worked and she's actually laughing or if he thought what you said was awkward and he's kind of like, oh, right. Um, but more likely than not, it's your LOLing and your ha haing and your raffling and all this stuff because it's not, it's not real conversations, right? Uh, and then comes the inevitable, as we've talked about it, the inevitable, dreadful, slow, painful relational death when you wait for a text and it takes 30 seconds for it to get there or a Facebook chat and it's like, oh my gosh, did they walk away from their computer? Uh, and we start freaking out, okay? We're going to talk a little bit more about this in a second. But there's a buzz in the air. You've been flirting. Something's starting to happen here. And then some sort or some version of the first date occurs. Now, I put it in quotes and say some version because, uh, you know, maybe it's formal. Maybe. Uh, maybe the guy actually says, hey, I'd like to take you out on a date on Friday night or Saturday for lunch or whatever it is. Um, my friend Matt, who I've gotten a lot of stuff from, says that, He says, this is very rare. Um, He says, this is like some exotic animal that you never see, but you only read about in books, right? (laughs) The actual date where a guy takes the risk and asks asks a girl out is so rare anymore. It's just, it's like something you only hear about in books. But more likely than not, it's informal. And so what that means is that you've been in somebody's apartment, y'all been watching a movie and, oh, I don't know, everyone else leaves and y'all are both just kind of still there. And it's like, well, hey. And so you start talking and you keep talking for nine hours, and you're just, you've ended up together, and you've had this really intense conversation about something, and then, so you've kind of had a first date, or maybe you've ended up at the library together, and you've been studying, and then you kind of section off, and it's just y'all two. Now, guys love this sort of thing. We do, because it's no pressure. It's no, it doesn't take any risk. It certainly doesn't cost us anything. Um, and we love it mainly, I think, because we're, mainly because we're gutless. <laughs> um, we don't really like the idea of intentionally asking a girl out or making some sort of pursuit or taking on some sort of risk. Okay, but the first date has happened in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Next, you see this kind of onset of social, social isolation. 
that you've gone on a date, and now when you see yourself in groups, it's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. Yeah, right. Um, you've actually already planned that you're going to leave after 30 minutes so that you can go just do something together. Um, and so there's this isolation that you start wanting to no longer just do the group thing. You start wanting to pair off and to kind of go do your own thing. Now, that can last anywhere from like two days, two hours, to two months. I mean, that sort of thing is, that stage can happen for a long time. It can be very drawn out, okay? Um, But when this starts happening, something changes. Because when people see you together, they start asking the question, what are y'all? What's going on with y'all? I saw that you left early with him, or I saw you left early with her. What's going on? So people notice that something's going on. At this point, um, they are articulating what's happening in the relationship. The relationship at this point is begging for a definition. It's begging for y'all to talk about what it is. So what do we do? Well, we define the relationship. We give it a definition. So we have in DTR. Um, Another campus minister friend of mine says that when a relationship gets to this point, that it becomes institutionalized. You have now put an institutional name on what was heretofore nothing. I mean, it was just hanging out or talking, but you've made it formal in some sense. It's become institutionalized, okay? Um, You have uh, formalized something that in your minds and your hearts feels like it needs to be formalized. Something needs to be said. And so you do it. You define this thing. And you come away from that conversation with titles, right? It's awesome. Oh, my gosh, I'm a boyfriend now. It's so awesome. Or actually, guys don't do that. Guys are like, yeah, she's my girlfriend. Sweet. <laughs> Girls, I think you do it a little differently. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. It's great. Um, but you're no longer talking. You're dating. And with that term comes a whole set of assumptions, of expectations, with, with rarely much communication, Uh, But this whole set of assumptions and expectations about what this actually means now. Okay, this is very important. Because once it becomes formalized, there's a lot of things that you just assume should be happening now. Okay? All right. So if that's the general pattern of the way you date, okay, if at all you're thinking, yeah, that may be kind of true, uh, then we're going to move on. Because now we want to talk about what the problems with that pattern are. What are the problems? I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. Um, You may be thinking... Brent, that's just the way it is. I didn't know there were any problems with that. Uh, Well, the reason that we don't think about the problems is that it's just the way it is. That it has become the default way that we date, okay? Now we're going to talk about uh, two problems, highlight two problems that I see with this. The first one I'm going to set up by telling a story that I heard from another campus minister friend. Uh, He was the old campus minister at Ole Miss, and he's fantastic on this stuff. But he was telling a story about... Uh, a female student who came to him, and they were meeting uh, one morning. I'm just going to read it. Uh, she sits down, and, and she tells him, Well, last night we decided that we're dating. And Les, his name is Les, said, That's great! But then he throws out this question to her. So let me ask you this. What's different today about y'all's relationship that wasn't true of your relationship before the talk? She said, Well, duh, we're dating. I already told you that. We're dating now. And he said, yeah, but what does that mean? What does that mean that you're dating? What's changed? She said, well, we've agreed to only date each other. We're exclusive. And he says, well, let's be fair. To be honest, 
you've actually been exclusive for a couple months now. I mean, you've not been going out with other people. Y'all basically already been exclusive. So, so what has changed? <laughs> What's going on? And she's confused, and she's thinking he's about to tell them they should break up. And she's, her head's spinning, and she says, well, I don't know. He says, let me ask you this. If in a month, and I'll ask you this, if in a month you met a guy who was cool and attractive and wanted to go out with you, and you actually liked that guy more than the guy you're with now, what would you have to do? What would you have to do to the guy you're dating now? She said, well, I guess we'd have to break up. Okay, so because this is just the way it happens, because this is what we do in dating, if we get to this point, we formalize it to where we have this commitment thing going on, um, it kind of begs for this breakup if you ever want to get out. So we're going to talk about that. Most of the time we never question what, took, what just took place in that conversation. Okay, let me try and unpack that. When we start dating someone and our relationship has been institutionalized, it becomes official, right? Facebook official, official with their friends, whatever you want to call it. And it feels different because at some level you really feel and believe that you have committed to each other. That there is some level of commitment there. Okay? Some of y'all are thinking right now I've got three heads and I just came from another planet. Hold with me. The question of what are we has been seemingly answered, right? Because you talked about it. You talked about what you are. You're now boyfriend and girlfriend. You're dating. And most of you can exhale. And it feels like the insecurities are gone because now you know what you are. We're dating. We're boyfriend and girlfriend. I'm fine. I'm all of a sudden not insecure anymore. But the truth is that nothing has actually changed. Your relationship is going to look exactly the same. It's going to look exactly the same the next day. Because you're dating. You're nothing more. There is no... I'm getting ahead of myself. Nothing's changed. Because if you want to do the same thing with someone else tomorrow, if you want to just go out tomorrow because there's some cuter girl or some uh, more awesome guy, you can just break up. Okay? But let's talk about the word commitment for a second. Dating, by definition, is temporary. It is not permanent. It is not a commitment in and of itself. And here's what I mean by that, is that you think that you're committing to each other when you're dating, but you aren't, because there's no real commitment to it, simply by the fact that you can break up for whatever reason you want. You really can. If you started dating him because he was kind of indie, and he wore a man pack, and then he like, gets a backpack, you can literally dump him because of that. Now, you're going to make up some ridiculous other excuse on how you've changed, um, and it's, it's not you, it's me, and all that stuff. But you can leave at any point you want, and you can say, I want to break up. And you never actually have to tell the person the truth. What kind of commitment is that? What kind of commitment is that? It's not. It's no commitment at all. This is what's going on. You've exclusively committed to each other as long as the relationship is working out for you. As long as it's working for you, you're saying, yeah, this is awesome. Let's date. But the moment it's not working out, you can peace out and be gone forever. Really without much explanation. But that's not what the word commitment means. Commitment doesn't mean 
I'm going to stay with you as long as you're serving my needs, and as long as you're doing it for me, or as long as uh, you don't get your bangs cut or whatever it may be. Like, it, that's not what commitment means. Commitment means I'm with you, <laughs> period. I'm committed to you, okay? I'm committed to you. You're not committed to each other by the simple fact that you're dating. Dating is temporary. You either break up or you get married. It is not a commitment in and of itself. Okay, so what do I mean by this? Well, another campus minister friend defined it this way. That dating is non-exclusive exclusivity. That dating, by definition, isn't just you and one other person. You're not committed. You're not engaged. You're not married. And so it's non-exclusive. But you treat it as if it's exclusive. Okay? Um, we're going to continue to unpack this, but that's what I want to say, is that it's not a commitment, nor is it exclusive. So that's the first problem. Dating makes an exclusive commitment that is by definition not exclusive and is not a commitment. Okay? So put that on the shelf for just a second. We're going to come back to it. The second problem with the pattern is this, that upon making this commitment, you then infuse all of the obligations, expectations, and behaviors of marriage into that dating relationship. Don't believe me? Let's listen up. Uh, you begin to think, we're dating now. I have a right to your time. Okay, now you may never say that, but here's the way it looks. Um, that there's a couple going out, and on Friday morning, one of them says, hey, I'm going home later this afternoon to visit my family for the weekend, uh, and I'll be gone this weekend. Uh, what are you going to do? And the other person kind of gets a little quiet and says, well, why are you just telling me this now? I just assumed we were going to do something this weekend together. Well, what am I supposed to do then? If you're going home, what am I supposed to do here? Do you see that assumption? Is that whether or not, in, whether or not, it's never spelled out, but there's this underlying assumption that when you begin dating, when you make it official, when you become exclusive, that you kind of have some sort of ownership or right over that person's time in the way they spend their time, what they do, where they go, who they hang out with, all these sorts of things. Now, you may never vocalize them, but inside, you get very agitated when things are not obviously spoken out, when you're in this sort of dating relationship. You seem to think you have a right to each other's times. Next, you think, um, the second thing we do is we think, I'm dating now. I have a right to your attention. Okay? This is the way this looks. You're with the other person, and they're not talking. And you say, what's going on? Nothing. Okay, seriously, what's going on? Well... It's just that at the party the other night, uh, when we were there, you kept talking to these other guys, or you kept talking to these other girls the whole night, and you really didn't come to talk to me that much. Okay? And now you work through it some, and you, and you figure it out, and all that stuff. But my point is, is that it never even gets questioned why that person has a right to even get mad about that. Why they have a right to say, you should have been talking to me the majority of the time. I'm sitting over in the corner. We're supposed to be dating and you never even show up and talk to me for any length of time. You don't have a right to each other's time. You do in marriage, but you don't in dating. Third thing we do, you think, we're dating now. I have a right to your body. Obviously, you will never say this, but as soon as the relationship's formalized, it's like the door swings wide open and we just assume... We just assume that physical affection is now an option, and even a good option. It's just like, oh, we're dating. Like, we can do whatever we want. Obviously, we're not going to do that. Or some of you don't have the that, and we're going to do whatever we want. 
Um, but anywhere, and this goes anywhere from kissing to all out, you know, getting it on, whatever you want to call it. Different couples will draw the lines at different places. Um, but inevitably, the line will get pushed further and further back the longer you date. Because there's this latent assumption that we're dating. What you have is mine, particularly your body. And when they want help um, on how to control this, they'll show up and we'll have to, I'll have to talk. And they'll want uh, help on how to start cutting back. By y'all, by they'll, I mean y'all, um, on how to cut back on the relationship. Brent, we've gotten too physical. What do we do now? We're struggling with this. Uh, what can we do? What's the most we can or should be doing? The assumption is that we sh- can and should be doing something, but what do we, Brent, give us a line that we shouldn't cross. What, where, what is too much? How much is too much? But again, the question's never asked. Why do we assume that we have the right to that person's body at all? Okay, now these are things that just happen in our dating. And these are problems. Because when you're doing these things, you're like pretending to be married. Okay? And here's, the, here's why this doesn't work. That you infuse the obligations, expectations, and behaviors of marriage into the dating relationship. And you start to think this. But, but dating in and of itself cannot support these kind of expectations. Because dating is flimsy. The structure of dating, because you haven't, when you start dating, because you never talk about these assumptions, you never lay out ground rules on stuff, because you just start dating and you start then doing all this stuff, it can't withhold the weight that you're bringing to it. Because when you start uh, getting physical, when you start making claims for each other's time, time and attention, all these things, you're inevitably going to be insecure because dating can't handle those things. It's not supposed to. It's not a real commitment. It's pretend marriage when you're doing that. Let me illustrate this way. Um, a friend of mine said that... Uh, have you, did any of you guys know the name Manuel Garza? Didn't think so. Um, he's the heaviest man in the world. He weighs 1,215 pounds. Pretty heavy. Um, now, suppose that Manuel was on the roof of a house... And um, down below to catch him, think of like a, a thatch-roofed house, like something in third world where it just takes the, it keeps the rain out, that's about it. Well, Manuel's up on the roof, and down inside of the little hut to catch him is Justin Bieber. Uh, <laughs> 75 pounds of Bieber is under there saying, Manuel, I'm ready, bring it on. What's going to happen? He's going to die. It's going gonna, it's gonna to crush him. It's going to crush him when the weight... When the weight comes upon him, Bieber can't handle that. He's a little boy. He's not meant for that. Dating's the exact same way. It's the exact same way. It's the Bieber. Um, it's way too flimsy to bear the emotions and the assumptions that come along with marriage. It's too flimsy. It can't handle those conversations. The kinds of expectations and assumptions that we import into our dating relationships will crush our dating relationships. They will crush us. Now, whether or not this is you or you know couples like this, think about it. You end up having all these fights about these things that I talked about. I thought we were going to do this tonight. I never said that. I know, but... Or, how come, you were, how come you've been distant from me? Well, I've been busy. Yeah. Or, 
I'm so mad at you. Why, how come we keep making it? How come we keep crossing the line and going too far? And to be quite honest, most of your friends are tired of hearing you gripe about it. And they're tired of hearing you, I was going to say a bad word, um, blank and moan about your relationship. Uh, because the nature of dating is that it's too flimsy. It's too without support and structure to hold what y'all are importing into it. So why do we have this? What is the, the undergirding thing behind this? Well, I said it earlier in the semester, and I'll say it again. That our dating, and the reason we have these problems, is that our dating relationships are controlled and dominated by insecurity and fear. By insecurity and fear. You simply are scared to death about what might be. You ask the question, what are we, to help assuage some of those fears? But then you enter into a whole new group of fears. Because now that you have this person... You begin to have to ask, now what do I have to do to keep this person? You start a whole new realm of freak out. Um, And you start this whole new realm of worrying like, oh, well, obviously I've got to do whatever he or she wants to do physically because if I say no, then they might leave. Or I've I've got to spend all my extra time with them because if I don't, then they're going to think I don't like them and then they're going to want to break up and all this stuff. But you see how all of these thoughts that each one of you has is so dominated by the fear of breaking up or by the fear and the insecurity of, What happens if they leave me? Every single one of us is driven by this at some level. That we are fearful of what might be. So you get overly jealous and you get overly controlling. And because dating is so unstable by definition, you're afraid to ever confront each other about anything. Because you're always thinking... If I bring this up, the fact that I don't like what he just did last night, I don't like how far he let us go, or I don't like the way she treated me in front of her friends, you will never say these things. You'll never bring them to the surface because you, you think, if I say them, we're going to get in a fight and they're going to leave. We have most of the problems we have in our dating relationships because they're controlled by our own insecurities and fears. Okay? So how do we fix this? Where do we get the power to repair the problems with the pattern? You can laugh. Um, I realize I've muddied the waters a bit. So here's what you're thinking. Brent, does this mean that I can't keep dating the person I'm dating right now? We've had these conversations. We've DTR and all this stuff. Look, I'm kind of going to gonna shelf that for this week. I'm going to talk about some specific things next week. Um, but what I want to talk about tonight is the heart issue behind our insecurities and our fears. Because your relationships will continue to struggle. They will continue to be driven by fear and insecurity until you look at your own heart and realize why is it I'm so fearful. And what I want to say here tonight is that the only solution to repair this pattern dominated by insecurity is the gospel of Jesus. Okay? I hope that doesn't feel like a big bait and switch. Like, oh, talk about dating. Let me just slide in Jesus at the end. Bear with me and we'll see why this matters. The reason that your dating relationships are driven and controlled by insecurities is not because you don't know what to do with the relationship. It's because you don't know what to do with you. You don't know what to do with you. Because you are driven by your own fears and insecurities to make something become official that isn't official. You're trying to make something a commitment that's not an actual commitment because you're trying to hedge off any potential hurt, any potential scariness, uh, uh, things, instability that may come. 
Let's look back down in the passage. You've still got your finger there. If not, um, uh, 1 John 4. Look at verse 17 and 18. Okay, I'm going to read that real quick. It says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we also in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. John is here saying that in the gospel, there are resources to make you confident in the face of the largest threat that will ever come your way. And that is when God will look at you on judgment day and say, why do you belong? Why should I let you in heaven? That is far more terrifying, whether or not you've ever thought about it, is far more terrifying than a guy or a girl saying, I'm sorry, I have to break up. That is incredibly, that's an incredibly scary moment. And what John's saying is there, there, there is a way that you can have confidence in that moment. And friends, if you can have confidence in that, in the time of God's judgment, then you can begin to have confidence in this world now, in the way that you do relationships, in the way that you date. This is saying that you can actually anticipate God's judgment, not with fear, not with anxiety, but with confidence. Just think about it. God knows everything that you've ever done. He knows every secret sin. He knows everything you've looked on the internet. He knows every dollar you've spent and where you've spent it. He knows every word that you've ever uttered. He knows everything you've ever treated, your, every way you've ever treated your parents or said to your brother. He knows everything. Every thought. Nothing is hidden from Him. And He knows also that He demands perfection. So there's those two things. He knows you. He knows your ugliness and how messed up you are. But He also knows that I'm perfect. And if you want to come back to me, you have to be perfect. How can He, we who are radically rebellious against God, ever hope to be made right? Ever hope to face that judgment day with confidence? Well, it says in verse 18 that perfect love drives out fear. Look, when we know God's love toward us, when we begin to understand God's love toward us and what that looks like and what Jesus has done, it begins to drive away our fears and insecurities. When we can see that I am fully confident in my relationship with God, then what we do here on this world loses its luster. It loses its fear. It loses its shock value. And how do you know God's love toward you? We'll look back in verse 10. He says, in this is love. And he goes on to explain this. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. It's not that we go out and try hard to love God or try to do good things to make Him happy. It's that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be a propitiation, which means a satisfaction of God's wrath. That He did it all. He moved toward us. He loved us. He sent Jesus for us. Jesus dying on a cross is God's objective demonstration of love for you. He's saying, if you, want to, if you don't understand my love for you, look. Look at Jesus dying on the cross. That's it. That is the, that's the biggest picture of love I could give you. It says loudly this. You don't need to be afraid of God's judgment. Because God emptied His judgment on His Son. So that He wouldn't have to empty it on you. He totally let loose on Jesus because of all of your shortcomings, because of all of your failings. 
so that on judgment day we might have confidence when we go to God and say, Jesus did it. I don't know why he did it for me, but he did it for me. I believe it. That's how we can approach that with confidence. Look, assurance of God's love for you is your only hope to have power to live out this life. Whether it's in dating, whether it's in school and getting the right grad school or whatever, assurance of God's love for you is the only power that you will have to overcome these fears. How does that connect to dating? Well, let me wrap up with this. I know many of your stories. I do. I've talked to a lot of you. I know that a lot of you have felt rejected at some level. Now, whether that's from parents or from friends or from boys or girls, you have felt a lot of rejection. And that rejection is real and it hurts. But Christianity is offering you something radically different. God says, I know everything about you and I'm signing up for you. I know everything you've done and I love you anyway. I'm for you. I'm moving toward you. I'm not pulling away. I'm not rejecting you. I'm accepting you. I know how the messiness runs in you and I'm electing you. I love you is what God says. And this is why verse 16 says that now we know and we believe, or maybe a better word is we rely on God's love. Look, when you know God's love like this, and when you can rely upon it, this pushes out the fear and insecurities that we have. It does. When you can face the most fearful thing in life with confidence, look, you can begin to face your relationships with confidence. The fear and insecurity with which you have with one another begins to melt. And if it doesn't, if you continue to be driven by the fear and insecurity, then perhaps you're seeing that relationship, you're putting too much weight in it. You're putting too much emphasis in what it can give you or provide for you. But when you know that God doesn't reject you but loves you, that can begin to go away. That's what's offered you in the gospel. Next week we're going to talk about the ways that plays out more practically. Let's pray.